A few months ago now, as I was beginning to develop this sermon series and look through the different texts that I thought would be helpful for us to take a look at, uh, it was very clear that Moses, as you might guess, was going to be a key character in this story. One of the things that really struck me as we have begun this journey is to look at the ways in which Moses leads. And sometimes you think, oh, that's really good. And sometimes it seems like Moses is really struggling. But as I continue to think through that, I thought I would really love to spend one Sunday, just one Sunday, talking a little bit more specifically about Moses' leadership. And when I got to Numbers 11... I realized that this might be a great text to be able to think through exactly how Moses was leading. And so back in August, I thought we're going to spend two weeks in Numbers 11. And so last week, of course, Scott, uh, Pastor Scott preached on that passage and he did a great job. And I thought, well, maybe we should just move on to chapter 12. I mean, you know, there is some things, some interesting things about Moses' leadership in chapter 12 as well that we could learn a lot from. And I really wanted to, man, there was just something about Numbers 11, verses 11 through 15 that I could not let go of, or perhaps it's better to say it would not let go of me. And so I want to spend today by carefully looking at those five verses. Now, before we kind of dive into that, I realized that when I said we're going to talk a little bit about Moses' leadership, there are perhaps some of you who would say, well, I don't lead anything. I mean, this is clearly not going to be pertinent to me. Well, before you push pause or kind of zone out, I want to suggest that all of us in one way or another lead. Uh, some of us are parents, which means, of course, that we are leading our children. Others of us, of course, we uh, have, a, have a younger sibling and maybe as an older sibling we are leading them. Or maybe, uh, sometimes I've seen it like this, where it's an older or a younger sibling who's leading an older sibling. And Well, the older you get, many of us who are in middle age or older, we begin to see that we have to start leading our parents now. Some of you, of course, are, are leading an organization or, or a business. Perhaps it's a large business or one, that's, one that you started and is still kind of small. Some of us are leading nonprofits. Some of us are leading churches. And for some of us, it may just be kind of leading in your neighborhood. I would suggest that those of you who are invested in your neighborhood, those who invite others into your homes or who go out in order to engage with others, you are leading by setting an example of a different way. And that there are people, I can promise you, when you begin to do that, who begin to look to you as someone different, who begin to look to you as someone from whom they can learn. All of us are leaders in one way or another. So what do we learn from Moses about what it means to lead, about what it, what it feels like? I, I use that word, what it feels like, with great intentionality. See, because that's the thing about these five verses, 11 through 15. They don't just tell us about leadership. They don't just you know, have us read about or just hear or help us to think. Those particular verses, I would, I would suggest actually help us to feel 
what it means at times to lead. Let's remember quickly what's going on. It's not hard to guess. The Israelites are complaining. Again, they want to go back to Egypt. Things aren't good. They're hungry. Where are they going to be able to eat? And they're, of course, complaining to Moses. But not only are they complaining, they're weeping. Their families are weeping. We're told they're at the entrance to their tents and they are weeping. And in this moment, almost as if we are given this insider's view, almost like we are somewhat clandestinely able to go up and to pull back the door of the tent and to look in and to hear and to see Moses as he has this incredibly intimate and honest and vulnerable conversation with the Lord. Why? Why have you treated your servant so badly? Have I not found favor in your eyes? That you lay the burden of all of these people. All of them. On me. Did I conceive them? Did I give them birth? That you would then say to me, oh, carry them as if in your womb like a nurse carrying a sucking child to the place that you, that you promised their ancestors. Where? Where am I supposed to find meat for them? God, they come to me Weeping. Where am I supposed to find this meat? I am not able to carry them alone. They are too heavy for me. If this is how you are going to treat me, then just kill me now. If I have found any favor, any favor in your sight, do not allow me to see my own misery. I think it is almost impossible to read to hear that story to not 
feel the angst and the sorrow and the fear and the anger that Moses is feeling and is expressing to God. It is this incredible intimate view and what it means to follow God's call to lead, especially in those difficult parts of the wilderness journey. One of my favorite parts about this kind of telling of Moses' conversation is what Moses says at the end. I love it. I would rather die than have to lead these people. I would rather do anything else. I mean, how many of us have not felt that at times when we're struggling in our life, when we're struggling with parenting a child, or when we're struggling at work, or or in some other place where we haven't said, oh my goodness, I would rather be almost anywhere than have to do this. A stone slinger truck. That's what I would do. I would drive a stone slinger truck. I don't know if you've seen those trucks, but I can tell you that when I'm struggling, uh, when I'm having something difficult going on at work here at the church, and I'm kind of wrestling with things, I'll notice myself kind of staring out the window, and when I see a stone slinger truck go by, I think, that's it! That's what I want to do! In a moment, I can just feel myself there. I'm I'm driving that big truck. I can go anywhere I want to go because nobody gets in your way of a stone slinger. I got a large coffee. It can be Dunkin'. It can be Starbucks. I don't care. But I've got it. I'm listening to a sports radio or to a favorite podcast. And the greatest thing is at the end of the day, I go in. I got my time card. I clock out. I say, see you tomorrow, Lou, because you know, I don't know who works there, but it's got to be Lou. See you tomorrow, Lou. And I go and I don't think about anything until tomorrow. It's perfect. Now, I was also thinking, well, there is a chance that there are some of these drivers for the stone slinger who, who very well after a rough day, when they're, you know, they've already been yelled at by one customer because they were 30 minutes late, but they were late because of all the traffic on 465 that they couldn't have predicted. Or another customer was angry because, well, you dumped the load exactly where they said it, but then they changed their mind. And for some reason, they're angry at you. And then you get back to the office and they say, well, we don't have any work for you tomorrow. Sorry. And so you may not be able to actually work at all. And I have a feeling they may be driving by the church every afternoon and they look at this guy on the other side of the window inside his corner office and they think, wow, sure do wish I could have that guy's gig. Looks pretty sweet. Point, of course, is this. That whenever it is that you are doing much of anything, and especially when you are leading something, you will inevitably, as Moses discovered again and again and again and again, Be those moments when you say, oh, I'd rather die than have to do this anymore. I'd rather do almost anything. 
Whenever you agree to take on any leadership role, just be ready. Don't be surprised when that time comes. But not only that, what we also see in that, of course, is just the sense of, well, hyperbole, exaggeration, melodrama. Let's be honest. I mean, Moses is, is struggling to be sure, but there's a bit of him, I think, that's really kind of feeding into this. It's why towards the end of this, we'll talk about this in a few minutes, God kind of addresses it. God gives him an option of what we can do to make things different. I think it's always really important when you're leading something to have at least one other person in your life who's not just going to say, oh, you're right. Things really are bad. Oh, things are horrible. You should just run for it. We need people who can also speak truth. Yeah, we listen, but who can also say, I think you might be exaggerating a little bit. Or, hey, have you thought about doing this? In my own life, of course, it's oftentimes my wife, Megan. She's the one who, if I happen to come home and say, oh my goodness, I would rather die than have to endure another day. I have never actually said that, but anything in some exaggerated wise, she is almost always the one to say, all right, settle down, Reverend. Uh, it's not that bad. We all need people in our lives who can help us in those moments when we begin to exaggerate, which only exacerbates the situation that we may be facing. Of course, one of the things that also happens when you begin to go through those more desert-like times of leading in the wilderness, whenever you confront the grumbling or the complaints, is that typically our visions begin to shrink. In fact, they begin to shrink so much until they reach the point where the only thing that you can see is yourself. Ian Dugan makes this great observation. He says in the original Hebrew, in these five verses, Moses refers to himself 20 times. 20 times. You get it? When you are going through a rough stage of leading anything, again, or just leading a child, whatever it may be, that one of our propensities is to begin to just simply start focusing on yourself. Oh, my own inabilities. Oh, I can't do this. Or why is everybody so mean to me? Why am I struggling? Oh, and all of a sudden, you become distracted from the mission and the vision that God has for you and for whatever it may be that you are leading. Now, please hear me. There is a place for listening. There is a place for being able to express pain. There is a place for being able to say, oh, this is really challenging by all means. But I think we always have to be aware that we easily begin to curl in upon ourselves in difficult times. And if we do so too much, then the only vision or mission that we will ever begin to see is just us. And so Moses here is clearly struggling in these five verses. It might be easy to say, I suppose, that well, what we learn about good godly leadership is what not to do. And yet, I want to suggest that Moses in these succinct five verses doesn't just tell us what not to do. He also helps us to see the remarkable ways in which he leads. 
When you look at this prayer or rant or complaint, whatever you want to call it, you can really kind of summarize it by saying, Moses is really saying to God, I do not know what to do. I don't know what to do. They're weeping. Where am I supposed to find meat? I have no idea what the next step is. And that, of course, is actually the mark of a great leader. But we've talked about this before. When I was doing uh, my doctoral work and I was reading so many books on leadership, uh, about how many times those books on leadership and leading change where they would suggest to the leader what you need to do is be very transparent with people and tell them you do not know what the answer is. That's really hard to do. Last week I spent a few days with some pastor friends of mine and I was kind of talking about this and the, the importance of saying I don't know and one of my pastor friends said, you know, look, I, I've thought about that, I'd love to do that, but I have a sneaking suspicion that if I did that, the church that I serve would end up saying, well, then why are we paying you? If you don't know, well, why, how can we trust you? In other words, that his, his credibility would take a nosedive if he was honest with them about things that he feels like he simply doesn't know. And as I was thinking about that in his own experience, and I don't know, he might very well be right at that particular congregation, I was also then thinking about you all. This past Tuesday night, as a session, uh, as you've heard, uh, we made some decisions about worship. Uh, we, we decided that, yeah, we were going to severely limit how many people could come in the sanctuary. That, yeah, we're going to have three services. That the first is going to be for our senior or seasoned saints. That we're going to ask you to wear masks. There's lots of details, many of them, that we're going to pass on to you, as I said earlier, over the next few days. But after making all of these decisions, I said to the session, here's the reality. There's going to come a time, and it may not be in the too far off future, when we look back and we think, oh, shouldn't have made that decision. Oh, we did not know what we were doing right then. And I want you to know, I said to the elders, I want you all to know that this congregation is incredibly gracious when it comes to these sorts of things. Now, first of all, don't prove me wrong, please. But secondly, I want you to know that's been my experience with you all over these last several months. We've really kind of said, look, we don't know. We're going to try an outdoor service. Who knows? It may work. It may not work. We're going to do these videos. Who knows? You may watch. You may not. We, we don't know for sure. We're, we're just trying you all have been incredibly gracious. I think a part of that, of course, is the fact that in your own life you realize, well, we don't really know. But I find that incredibly refreshing and helpful because what it allows us to do is to actually move forward. Because what you begin to discover is if you think you have to know everything, then you either do nothing or oftentimes you act like you know things that you don't and you make foolish decisions. It just so happened that earlier on Tuesday, before our session meeting, we were meeting with a few people from Youth for Christ. And Allie King, many of you know her. She's the director here in central Indiana. And Allie said to us, she said, you know what? 
we love to partner with churches like ZPC, she said, because they are willing to fail. They're willing to fail. They're willing to mess up. They know that the only way for you to ultimately succeed is to be willing to fail. In other words, the only way to ultimately be able to succeed is to be able to say at times, you know what, I don't know for sure. We're going to try this. And then if it fails, we will have learned something and then we can move on. The reason that God called Moses was not because Moses was perfect. It was because God realized that Moses was going to be somebody who made a mistake, who could be honest about the fact that he didn't know, and yet was going to stick there, was going to continue to lead, even when he wanted to do something else. But the part of the passage that I think moved me the most as I just tried to place myself in Moses' sandals in this time was the 14th verse. Remember that 14th verse? Scott talked about this a little bit last week. Moses says, I am not able to carry all these people alone. They are too heavy for me. I love that picture of what it means to lead. Leading Ultimately, a part of it for all those who want to lead, it seems to me, in a godly, in a godly way, it will always require a sense of helping to carry the struggles and the pain of others. Leadership that requires no pain, no suffering, and has no challenges is not leadership at all. As Moses so rightly understood, the only way to lead well is to almost viscerally be able to feel the weight of those you are leading. As you know, my world is the world of the church by and large. And so when I think about leadership, that's how I think about it. And one of the things I frequently see in young pastors who are just coming out of seminary is that they come out and they have a grand plan, a grand vision, a, a beautiful thought for what this church, whatever church it is that they're going to go to, this is what we are going to do. And, and I think, quite frankly, that's good and right. Uh, you don't want a bunch of 25-year-olds coming out who are already cynical and saying, well, I'm not going to do anything. And so they go and they go into these new churches and they have lots of energy and they say, this is what we're going to do. It's going to be amazing. And all of a sudden that crashes up against the reality of the church. If people whose lives are perhaps struggling or broken people who have their own visions and plans for the church. And after a while, when those two things have crashed together, the pastor 
And you can see it. I see it on Facebook pastor page, uh, pastor pages all the time. That pastors have a decision to make in this moment. That leaders have a decision to make in that moment. On the one hand, they could just say, forget it. This is clearly not the place for me. I'm going to have to go find a place that's a bit greener over there. And I'm sure that they'll love everything I'm going to do and say. Or they sit there and they just grumble about the people in their church. Oh, they just don't understand the church. Or they just grow cynical. Dry up in some way. Or the pastor can decide to slow down. To bend down. To meet people right where they are. And to begin to kind of help to pick up the burden just a bit. I love that image because here's the thing. As you pick those burdens up and as they begin to pick up yours. You begin to walk together further into the wilderness. It is a slower journey. Walking with 50 pounds on your back does not happen as quickly as it might if you didn't have that weight at all. But slowly, you begin to journey together. Slowly, Moses continued his journey with the Israelites. He didn't flee. He didn't say, forget it, I'm just going to go on without you. He realized that his lot was with their lot, that their lot was with his lot. And even in those moments when he no longer wanted to keep going with them, he reached down, he grabbed the burdens, and they continued to journey forward. But here's the thing. When God heard Moses say that these people were too much for him to carry alone, God said, you're right. He didn't tell him to just leave. He didn't tell him to suck it up. He said, all right. Bring in 70 more elders. Let them come alongside of you. And they will help carry that burden. Here's the thing. I wanted to tell this part of this story for you. We're about to enter into a new stage of the wilderness. We're not in Elam. We've not yet reached the palm trees and the springs. But as I've been reflecting on this part of our chapter together, I'm just doing the videos as we started back in March, and then doing the outdoor worship in July. One of the things that I have been overwhelmed by is the fact that at no point 
Did Pastor Scott or I think that we were carrying this load, this burden alone? I hear from my pastor friends. I know that many of them feel isolated. They wonder if anyone in their congregation cares, if it matters to them. They don't hear from them. They don't know what's going on. We have received so many cards. I've told you this before. So many emails, phone calls, texts. From the beginning, Ted Coates, who's behind the camera right now, came alongside just like that to say, let's do this. People at the outdoor worship have been up there before that even the sun had even risen in order to come and to help and to help carry the burden. At no point, at no point, are we ever feeling like we had to say, Scott or I, oh, we're carrying this burden alone. It's too heavy for us. gift. What a gift it is to have spent part of this seven months helping to carry some of your burden. And what a gift it has been for you to come alongside of us and to carry our burden as well. I don't know when we're going to reach Elam. And I know it's going to be slower than any of us had hoped. But what I do know is that we don't do it alone. And so, sisters and brothers, let us keep moving forward. Let us keep bringing up and carrying the burdens of one another. Let us keep slowly, steady, stable, and plodding toward the promised land, towards God's coming kingdom. May it be so. Amen and amen. As we've been talking about carrying one another's burdens today, we are reminded of what Jesus himself has said to us. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. As we take of this bread and this cup, today. I hope that we will be reminded that it is Jesus who carries all of our burdens. And in so doing, might we have peace. And so with that, let us pray. Christ, we are reminded today that you are the great burden bearer. And that you have bore our sin, our brokenness so that we might have new life. I pray, Lord, that you would come upon this bread and this cup, and that as we eat and as we drink, that we might feel our own burdens being lifted up to you.
And it's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night of his arrest, he took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body, which has been broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, you do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. And in the same way, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant. It's sealed in my blood and shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. Whenever you drink of it, you do this in remembrance of me. So take and drink. Let's pray. God, we give you praise for this time to have gathered together for this time to remember who you are and what you have done for us. So we pray, Lord, that just as you take our burdens, that you might help us to be a people, Lord, who are not afraid to go and to help carry the struggles and the pain and the brokenness of others. Take them to the cross. Take them to you. You can then lift them up and make them new. It's in your name we pray. Amen.